The reading is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, and this can be found on page 967 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back of church, and page numbers for those are on the screen. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point at the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nikki, for reading that passage to us. Um, Shall we pray as we come to look at it? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that your word speaks to us. And Lord, as you speak to us this morning, uh, increase our trust and increase our satisfaction in you alone. Amen. Well, there I was, standing with my colleagues uh, as we were facing the prospect of having to go uh, to a client meeting the next day and tell them, or explain to them, why the project was both now late and going over budget. Uh, we stood around, what are we going to do? You know, so many times an all-nighter had got us out of this one, but not, it's not going to work on this occasion. What could we say uh, to the customer uh, about what had happened? And as we were standing around chatting, lots of uh, excuses were kind of, you know, suggested. Um, I say excuses, that's called a spade a spade. They were lies um, as to why, actually, in reality, we had taken on too much work and couldn't deliver everything. But what are we going to go and say to the customer? And as I was standing there, knowing that I'm the one who's going to be actually in that meeting the next day, a sudden thought came into my mind. It sort of started my stomach churning, my hands a bit sweaty. Am I prepared to lie to save face? It's temptation. It's temptation. Temptation faces us in all sorts of different ways, whether it's, it's driving down the road and you see the sign that says 30, and you think, mm, yeah, that means 32. Um, or, you know, it, it's that uh, someone asks you to do something and you pretend not to hear. Or you hear the gossip and you just think, oh, now I'm on the in crowd. Maybe I could go and uh, carry on that gossip. Sure, I'm on the in crowd. It comes at us in all sorts of different ways. Temptation. 
And this passage that we've just had read shows that temptation is real. And it's going to come to all of us. But it also shows us it's something that Jesus understands. He sympathizes with, with us. See, we don't have a God who is completely distanced from us and doesn't know what it's like to be human. We have a God who came in human form. Uh, if anything, um, at the very least, this passage proves to us Jesus' Jesus's humanity. But I just want to say it shows us more than that. Not only does it show his humanity, it shows that Jesus is the only faithful human. The only faithful human. Uh, Matthew's writing his gospel to show how Jesus fulfills all the Old Testaments, even the, even the smallest bits. And so here he's both reminding us how Jesus is better than what's come before, but also he's the fulfillment of all the prophecies uh, that have come before. He's just that type of king that we should be expecting. But as we think about how Jesus is, is, is better than what's come before, we first of all need to see that Jesus succeeds where Israel fails. Jesus succeeds where Israel fails. Now to see this, it helps to spot a pattern um, that is there at the start of Matthew's gospel um, that fits the first half of Exodus. So if you've looked at Exodus before, uh, you'll know the great climax of the end of Exodus is, is God being with his people. Uh, Matthew starts and ends his gospel, as Steve was telling us last week, uh, with God being with his people. And there's this pattern to the, to the start of the gospel. Uh, now, if we look at it in terms of Exodus, uh, it starts off uh, in Exodus with Pharaoh trying to kill all the Israelite uh, children. But God protects his chosen one. He protects Moses. And then, uh, after the terrifying uh, ten plagues, um, the Israelites leave Egypt. And they do so through the water um, of the Red Sea, those two great pillars of water that God parts for them to walk through on dry land. He saves them. And as they get through, saved from this slavery, uh, they're led into the wilderness where they're tested. Actually, they both test God in their complaining and grumbling, and God tests them to be faithful to his words. And then it moves on to uh, God giving Moses the law uh, at Mount Sinai. And they are told how they are to live in relationship with God. Now, there's a, there's a pattern for the first half of Exodus. Now, follow that pattern for the first bit of Matthew. Uh, Matthew begins with Jesus being born, uh, and then uh, King Herod wanting to kill all the uh, children in Bethlehem. But God protects his chosen one, Jesus. Jesus' family escaped to Egypt, uh, and then once Herod's died, they leave Egypt as a prophecy foretold. So he leaves Egypt. Uh, at the start of Jesus' ministry, he is baptized by John the Baptist. That's in the chapter before what we've just read. He goes in the water and through the water. Then, as we've just read, he's tested in the wilderness. Not for 40 years, but for 40 days. But there's still the same sort of testing. And then, as we'll see next week, uh, Matthew records Jesus uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount, which is him showing the extent and his fulfillment of the law. There is a similar pattern going on here. And so as we focus this week on the testing in the wilderness, we are seeing where a Jesus, how Jesus succeeded where Israel failed. 
Because Israel, in the, when they're in the wilderness, they grumbled, they complained, they asked God for food, they asked him to keep, keep providing, even though he's shown he would. He had rescued them from Egypt, rescued them from, say, uh, from slavery, and yet they wanted to go back. They didn't trust God. And yet Jesus in the wilderness, as we've just read, he was faithful. He faced similar battles, but he didn't give in to the temptations. He was hungry, but he trusted his father and remained faithful. And so let's think about what Jesus' success means as we uh, look at these different temptations. You need Matthew 4 in front of you, page 967, if you've closed your Bibles or just want to warm up your fingers, flicking around a little bit. Um, because we not only will see his success, but we'll see what sort of king that Jesus came to be. John the Baptist, in chapter 3, uh, has just baptized uh, Jesus, and he's also been saying that repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And as we're reading the gospel for the first time, having heard of Jesus' birth being God with us, and the kingdom of God coming near, we're, we're wondering, well, what sort of king is this going to be like? Who can bring God to us, who can bring heaven near You see, many Israelites were uh, expecting this kind of swashbuckling uh, superhero-type king. He would come and get rid of the nasty Romans and restore the glory of Israel. But straight after the the words, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Straight after God says that, Matthew records... Jesus' temptations. Not a sign of strength, a sign of faithfulness. And if you look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, it's no accident that Jesus is in the wilderness. He has been led there by the Spirit to be tempted. And just say, this isn't God being cruel. This is God leading him there so that Jesus, as Hebrews said, would learn obedience. Jesus would live out that humanity and show his faithfulness through the, through the testing he receives. But whereas Israel failed, this God-man, Jesus, he resists all that the devil throws at him because he knows there's something bigger on offer than what the devil is tempting him with. So Jesus' success is more than physical need. That's the first temptation in verses 2 to 4. So look at verse 2. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, I'd be hungry. I'm hungry after 40 minutes. I mean, let alone 40 days. Uh, Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Yeah, it, it must have been tempting for Jesus. 40 hot days, 40 cold nights, and he looks around through those pangs of, hang, of hunger, and all he can see is sand, you know, no Curry Mile, no Audi, not even a Tesco Express. He, the stains are there. Of course, he can turn them into bread. He's going to feed 5,000 people just a few loaves um, soon. But that's not what he's there for. He'll remain obedient to his father and not give in to Satan's schemes. So look at verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, 
Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Israel's uh, hunger in the wilderness was supposed to teach them that they are to rely on God and his word and his promises. But where they didn't and they grumbled and they complained, Jesus takes that truth and lives it. And if you think about it, how many people in the world today are living by bread alone? No consideration of anything spiritual. And they seem to be living well. But that's not where they're destined. And yet, how many people in the world today are struggling to find physical food? And yet have God's word and are living a far more fuller life than those who have plenty. See, of course we need physical food. We, you know, we can't ignore that. But physical food will only help in this life. God's word, the spiritual, will, will go on into eternity. And that's why Jesus' mission is more than just physical needs. He's not just, a, he could have come and dealt with all our physical problems, but that's not going to help us into eternity. We need someone who can come and sort that spiritual problem. And can I say, for all of us, we mustn't let the physical, as important as that is, and all the things that are happening in our life, but we mustn't let that take so much of our time and energy that we forget the spiritual, that we forget that we need something to get us into eternity, and that is Jesus. So it's more than a physical need, and it's more than supernatural help. That's second temptation in verses 5 to 7. Because next... Uh, if you follow the passage, the devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem and he places him on the highest point uh, of the temple. Uh, apparently, um, between that highest point, um, there was a, uh, below there was a deep ravine, which made that gap huge. And at the top of that point, uh, the devil says in verse 6, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, now even the devil is using scripture to try and tempt Jesus. God isn't going to let you die. Just throw yourself down, let the angels come and rescue you. It's kind of a bit like, isn't it, Superman swooping in whenever Lois Lane is falling off a a skyscraper, which she seems to manage to do quite a lot. Um, But Jesus knows... What's going on? Uh, this is, the devil's quoting uh, Psalm 91, and that's not the way that the psalm was written. You know, the devil's manipulating the scriptures to try and cause someone to sin, just as he still does today. Psalm 91 is a promise that God will help his people who will suffer. But it, it's, it's got to be balanced with other passages of scripture. Christians will suffer. And it's certainly not a command to put yourself in harm's way so, so you would see God, re, God rescuing you. And so Jesus replies in verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, that's exactly what Israel did. Jesus is not going to do. 
Okay, and of course, he could have called in legions of angels to rescue him. In fact, you see at the, at the very end of verse 11 that the angels do come and attend him uh, once he's been through these temptations. But that wasn't the plan now. You see, Jesus had a perfect unity with his Father, and they've come up with, an eter- with a plan that they, weren't, they were going to stick to. And that complete unity means he's not just going to come in with a supernatural assistance. He had to pay the price. He had to do what was required to rescue. The Father's plan must be completed. So it's not just supernatural help. And it's also more than conquering power. The third temptation in verses 8 to 10. See, this final temptation... Uh, get the devil shows Jesus the whole world. You know, it's probably some supernatural vision of the whole world and showing all the splendor. Uh, and the devil offers him all that if he would just bow down and worship him. I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity. That's where Jesus rightly should be, king of the whole world. But there's a huge problem, actually, in what the devil's doing. See, the devil, as you see in verse 8, shows a kingdom in in all their splendor, but he's masking a problem. It's a bit like uh, someone who goes to buy a car. Uh, You walk up to the car, it's all nice and shiny. It's got that kind of sporty look that you like. You think, wow, this is a good good car. Uh, You open the door, oh, it's nice and smooth as you open that door. You sit in the seat, you turn the key, and the engine just splutters. And nothing really happens. Suddenly what looked good becomes absolutely useless without the working engine. And the, the devil is doing a similar sort of thing. He's showing the outward splendor of all the kingdoms. But he's hiding the huge problem that's under the bonnet. The problem of sin. And so Jesus could have reigned over the world in this way, but he wouldn't have come and dealt with sin which is the uh, spiritual need that we have. It's the plan he had with the Father to come and deal with, this, with sin. Sure, taking the devil way, devil's way would have been easier than going to die on the cross. But even at the start of his ministry, Jesus knew exactly that's what he had to do to rescue us. And so as he comes with this last temptation... Uh, Jesus eventually tells the devil where to go. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So for the third time, uh, Jesus quotes scripture at the devil. In fact, in all three cases, he's quoted Deuteronomy, uh, which in context are passages that uh, talk about Jesus, sorry, Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. But each time he is used, he's got the Spirit with him and he's used Scripture. And they are two things that we all have as Christians. The Spirit with us and Scripture. And so as we come uh, to fight temptation, we don't use anything different than Jesus did. We use the Spirit and we use Scripture. This passage shows us Satan is real. It shows us that there's a spiritual battle going on. 
Uh, it is only a battle. The war has already been won by Jesus. But as we come to that, that temptation, and temptation isn't a sin. Jesus, Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. But as we come to that temptation, we use this, the Spirit gives us strength, and we have the promises of God in Scripture to fight it. And so we can follow Jesus' example, not give in to temptation. Fight it. Jesus did it. He had that perfect trust in his Father, never putting a foot, never putting a thought wrong. He did not sin. So he succeeded where Israel failed. And Jesus succeeded where we failed. Jesus succeeds for us. Because if we're honest, aren't we more often like Israel than we are Jesus? We give in to that temptation rather than fight. Those examples that I gave at the start, a number of times I have given in to temptation. By God's grace, not every time. Um, But sometimes I have. But instead of feeling the guilt of that temptation and that, that sorry, the guilt of losing that temptation to that fight of temptation. We look to Jesus. Because although we failed, uh, that's exactly why Jesus came. He came to deal with that problem of sin. That, that greatest spiritual problem that we could have. And, and he did so with the, through the plan he came up with with the Father. See, Jesus didn't just live the perfect life to show us who he was. Jesus lived the perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice. And only a perfect sacrifice would do. But you see, a perfect sacrifice, as Jesus was on the cross, as we're going to remember uh, as we come around the Lord's table in a bit, not only gets us forgiveness, but it also means Jesus' righteousness is given to us. We get Jesus' perfect record. That time, all those times that he was faithful, all those times that he followed perfectly God's plan, all those times he never gave in to temptation, all those are now how God looks at us as Christians. One writer puts it like this. God regards us in the identical way he does Christ. The Father treats us in exactly the same way as he does his own eternal and beloved Son. See, God no longer sees our failures. Yes, I still mess up. Yes, I've been unfaithful. Yes, I will be. But because Jesus' faithfulness, as God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees that perfect records. That's why Jesus had to come in humanity. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what the temptation is. But he is also, as well as God with us in that, he is God with us as a sufficient, perfect, full sacrifice. And because he was faithful when we are not, God now looks at us and sees utter faithfulness. What a saviour. God with us. Shall we pray?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' faithfulness. Forgive us for the times that we have been unfaithful and we've given in to temptation. Thank you that Jesus never did that. Thank you his life without sin made him the perfect, sufficient sacrifice. And say, Lord, we thank you that because of his work, when you look at us, you now see him. Amen.